Hello, and welcome to Verge ESP, a podcast about art and science on The Verge. My name is Emily Yoshida. I am the entertainment editor at The Verge. My name is Liz Lopato. I'm the science editor at The Verge, and I have some hot, smoking hot, one might even say crispy, crisper news for you. <laughs> hot and crispy. So for those of you who know that word but aren't totally sure like what I'm talking about, which is probably a lot of folks, this is basically a, a gene editing tool. So it lets you kind of go in, cut out a section of like genetic code and replace it is the very, very short version. It's like a copy paste, like an old school copy paste, not like what, what we do with, you know, <laughs> with computers. But so anyway, this is sort of a combination of two things that I care about a lot. There's been this study going on at the University of Pennsylvania where they have been a series of studies, really. Um, it's like a whole program now where they basically, if you are a late stage cancer patient with, with right kind of cancer, they take out your your T cells, which are a kind of white blood cell, part of your immune system, and they reprogram them using viruses to hunt your cancer. Whoa. Yeah, it's cool as hell. Um, and it's really promising because uh, what the what the what the T cells are hunting for are like cancer specific proteins and receptor sites, things like that. You know, there's a lot of possibility for this, right? So, but they haven't been using it on humans yet, right? They've just been testing it or? They have definitely used it on humans with uh, a fair amount of success in blood cancers. And I think they're moving on to solid tumors and I'm, I'm not sure where that work is yet. But they haven't been using CRISPR to, cre to do these edits. They've been using like the same way that one does with gene therapy, where you insert a virus and the virus does the insertion. And okay. so what's exciting is that they are going to try to use CRISPR to create these specialized T cells now. Um, they've just gotten approval from the um, National Institutes of Health sort of ethical gatekeepers on the recombinant DNA committee, which is a very memorable name, I'm sure. <laughs> this is potentially the first use of CRISPR um, in people. Now, just to be super clear before anybody freaks, because it's only those those cells that are being programmed, it's not that this is going to be something that's going to be passed along. It's not going to, like a germline change. It's going to be permanent, and your offspring will have these specialized. No, 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 none of that. It's 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 specifically for a therapeutic use. But it looks like there are a lot of people who are really interested in doing similar stuff, and so we may be seeing the beginning of a sort of wave of using our own bodies as drugs. Wow, and 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 I also understand people are kind of also interested right now in getting in line for SpaceX. Is that is that what's happening right now? <laughs> people are well, just like willing to submit their bodies right now for science. That's the theme of the week, right? Well, <laughs> this is uh, the SpaceX news is a little different, although it does seem like there are a lot of people who are like, yeah, sure, send me to Mars. Uh, <laughs> but um, so SpaceX has been so successful at bringing their their rockets back that Port Canaveral, which is the naval port on Florida Space Coast, is considering making a change to its tariff fees. Um, so anybody bringing a aerospace or an aircraft item back into the harbor, like for instance SpaceX on their barges, is uh -huh. gonna have to pay $500 for every ton the vehicle weighs. Whoa. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so that's that's how you know that's how you know you're a real success is when the government's like that's cool I'm going to tax it now. Oh so, man, it's a taxable concern. Do you think yeah. that they're gonna? Do you think that th that's going to stick around, or do you think that that Elon Musk is going to find a way about around getting taxed for? for I, well, so so they are already paying fees, but right now right. they are uh, three dollars per ton of cargo. Okay. Which is a lot less. Yeah. So I think they're trying to figure out how to make this work because like part of what's going on is like if it's if it's five hundred dollars per ton, that could be about fifteen thousand per rocket because a recovered Falcon nine weighs up to 
30 tons. And Port Canaveral is basically saying those rockets post, like are a weight issue. So like transferring rockets onto the docks has caused minor damage there. <laughs> mm. um, that's why they're thinking of changing the tariffs. Gotcha. Well, I just paid a $90 tariff, um, Liz, for a very, (laughs) very (laughs) exclusive learning opportunity. Um, I don't know if anybody's familiar with Masterclass. I guess it's been going on for a while. It's a series of online learning courses taught by respected individuals and and professionals in their field. You can learn how to act from Kevin Spacey. You can learn how to be have better stage presence from Usher. And now you can learn how to write screenplays from Aaron Sorkin. Um, I don't know what my specific fascination or love-hate relationship is with Aaron Sorkin, but I have a feeling that I'm not alone in it. I think that, I don't know, I can't say that I dislike the movies as he, that he's written. I get a, a, a very I get very thrilled and electrified sometimes by the weird combination of, of goodness and badness that are that is in an average Aaron Sorkin script. And so I cannot, I'm personally, I mean, I paid. I'm, I'm signed up. It starts in 46 days. I'm going to do it. Oh, <laughs> I'm man. just going to see what kind of wisdom he has to pass on to me. And I think Jameson Cox is going to do it as well. And uh, he's going to write about it. I'm not going to write about it. I'm just going to write like my masterwork while I'm. <laughs> while so I'm I saw I saw that video that's promoting it. Yeah, it's incredible. It, it feels like the setup for a really good sketch comedy. Like I am I am there for the sketch comedy version of this. Like, yeah, I mean there was a lot of Trump University jokes going around <laughs> uh, in response to this video. I mean. He has he he gives some free advice away in this video, like you know a sentence never begins with the word damn it, apparently, um, or never begins with damn. Yeah, that was that was the one that immediately made me think this was going to be a trash fire because like I definitely have seen my chat logs and also am aware of how I talk and I frequently start sentences with expletives, including but not limited to damn. Yes, but you see, Liz, your ex- your experience as a woman and a woman on the internet. <laughs> really invalidates uh, the way that you communicate and the way that you experience the world. So, you know, this is, this is not Damn! Enough. Sorkin strikes again! Damn, Sorkin! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Anyway, so that that's my favorite piece. Of, you know, the, the news, my, I, I treat, I approach news in this show like more like, here's my favorite thing that happened in the last 48 hours, and that is it. So I know that I have I have put something on the site that is I guess remarkable is the word when I start to get DMs from other people in the con- the company who are like what is this? <laughs> what I'm talking about is uh, a weight loss device by Aspire Bariatrics called the Aspire Assist. Okay, <laughs> so far so good. No, no, I would argue with that, <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs> that name is so terrifying. That name is straight out of Black Mirror. It's a horrible uh, name. <laughs> so the way that this weight loss device works is you um, you have a porthole in, installed in your belly and it goes directly to your stomach and you can drain some of the food you've just eaten directly into the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is that is how it works. The FDA has approved it. This is an FDA approved device. Now, I just want to say, because I'm a little bit of an FDA geek, the device approval process and the drug approval process are, are very different. 
And for the drug approval process, you typically need to have a fairly rigorous phase three program with thousands of people in it and at least two studies. And this was approved by the FDA based on a one year study of 111 people. So just that's and I I said this earlier when we were chatting that it's probably the maximum amount of people on Earth who would ever willingly do this, especially before it's approved by the FDA. Not that, as you're saying, this even Matters. Well, so, we, uh, you know, um, Ale Potenza, who, who reported the story, actually talked to some people who use the device and appear to be very happy with it and have used used it to lose weight, uh, which is a little astonishing. Apparently, they're not very happy that, that people are reacting to this essentially as being like medicalized bulimia. But, you know, I want to get to something kind of interesting and, and top level, and then we can get into like the specific risks here. Yeah. Because there are many. But... I think it's very interesting that the FDA is so much more regulatory around drugs than it is around devices. And I feel like there's some kind of parallel within culture at large about how we fear drugs more than we fear devices. I don't know. I, I'm i just thinking about like how, you know, it's getting better, but drug laws tend to be pretty strict and very uh, people go to jail for having drugs and or being in possession of drugs. And yet I feel like a phone is a kind of drug that alters your brain in some ways with very, very lasting effects. And yet like everybody is allowed to have a a phone. I don't know. I'm just I'm just spitballing here. But we seem to be way more welcoming of machines into our lives than chemicals. I mean, to me, this also speaks to like the how difficult it is to lose weight, how many people are struggling with weight loss and like the gen- I mean, like, you know, like, is it, what is it? Two thirds of the U.S. population is overweight or obese. Like that's, you know, that speaks to, to something that is very real and, and really happening. And, you know, I look at all of these diet books and like celebrity fad weight loss teas and stuff. And I think, well... You know, that people people want to lose weight and they aren't sure how to do it and they're really struggling with it. And that's what creates devices like this, because, you know, it's hard. It's really hard. Diet and exercise is hard. And even if you stick to a diet and exercise plan like that doesn't guarantee that you're necessarily going to lose weight. It's just going to make you healthier, which is a respectable thing in its own right. Is there something that's a particular reason why somebody would want to use this as opposed to doing bariatric surgery or um, well so one of the patients we spoke to this guy named uh, Eric Wilcoxon who's had this device installed since 2013 if you can imagine that like three years with this he decided that he wanted to get that because he was afraid of the complications of bariatric surgery and he's he's it's reversible this is an outpatient surgery I think it's it's if you're spending a day if you're spending any time in the hospital it's a day it's a relatively minor procedure compared to like the very invasive stuff that goes on with like gastric banding for example right but a couple things uh, we have really good data on long-term data on uh, gastric banding and other kinds of bariatric surgery, and we don't have a lot of good long-term data on this device. Again, because the, the approval is based on a small clinical trial that only ran for a year. So it's hard to know like how good it's going to be. But the other thing is that like uh, these surgeries often create uh, hormonal changes that can be helpful, for instance, for diabetes. Uh, and this doesn't do that. Hmm. So... It doesn't really it doesn't really do some of these other things that the the more well established procedures do, but it is less invasive. And so that I think is 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 a little bit of the motivation, right? Like okay. you're not going to have to be totally opened up. You're not going to have to spend all this time recovering in the hospital. 
Um, if you have a gastric band, you you may go out back in to have it tightened or removed. You don't have to do that, you know. So there there are there is there is a world in which I can imagine somebody making a decision to use this device. I am not that person. <laughs> I mean, there's something just I I, I feel like a a good stretch further uh, about having a valve on your body. Like you're really getting into kind of biohacking or something in a way there. <laughs> or, uh, yeah, I mean, like port devices are things that are used elsewhere. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> they're, they're, tell me about port infection, though, because that's the real turnoff for me here. That's what scares me, too. Anytime you have a hole in your body, even if it's a, a, a well-controlled hole. Let's um, call it a port, though. Let's make it sound <laughs> civilized. It's a port. <laughs> You, you potentially raise your risk for infection because your skin, in addition to being lovely and soft and, you know, keeping all of your guts inside, also does this wonderful thing where it keeps bacteria outside. It's like a really good barrier, in fact. And anybody who has like the port, a port valve, basically, is at potentially at risk for a port infection. Those things are, are, are relatively rare, but they happen and they scare me. <laughs> like, and the reason, particularly with the stomach, that, that that makes me nervous is that there's a lot of bacteria in your stomach. And <laughs> God, I'm grim. Ugh. So when you die, part of what happens is that your immune system stops keeping that bacteria just in your stomach and it goes into your system yeah. and just eats everything. And that's like, that's bacteria and that's also like stomach acid and stuff too, right? Like, yeah. And so like any kind of like, yeah, it, it just, it, the, the, it, <laughs> it just makes me very nervous. Like it maybe even, maybe more nervous than I should be, but, but the idea of having an open port valve uh, would, would make me nervous for, for site infections anyway, but particularly given that you're, you're dealing with stomach acid, which can be very corrosive right. and, and stomach bacteria that, that. That also makes me nervous. Well, I mean, if and I, I feel like if some people don't really, if can't, they can't really picture this or don't really know what we're talking about, just go to The Verge, search for a spiracist. Should be relatively recent, I'm sure. There's a video. There are some. There are some great gifts that capture what this process is like. Um, I, I think when I was talking to you about it originally, I referred to it as stomach trepanning, um, <laughs> because it is just like drilling a hole in. To let out the stuff, in this case, not evil demons, but food or a steak or a milkshake that you had to have. So I don't know. It's it's a it's it's very. I think the People. the cultural implications of it are are interesting too because uh, in a way it doesn't it's it allows for you to keep uh, assuming a normal life or what you see even as a person who is obese or has a problem with food or or maybe is still overeating it allows you to not really have to change your behavior and not have to change it in a normal like a like a like a diet and exercise just the most like boring way get healthy that's just like not it, it, it's a loophole around that I mean it is a literal <laughs> loophole uh, uh, yeah I, I so I, I made the gifs by the way so thank you for that yeah they, they seem to really upset people on Twitter a lot people thought they're fake that's the most amazing thing everybody who saw that the, I, when I posted it everybody was like this is a joke right this isn't real I, I got I got a lot of comments along not the onion but 
the other thing that people kept saying over and over again that I thought was a little bit funny was they're like, it's like the Hunger Games. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, because they, they take the, the potion that makes them throw up. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> and, enjoy uh, all the wonders of developed society and all of the insane gastro uh, whatever. What, what's the word that I'm looking for? Anyway, you can, like, eat all the momofuku you want and still be, like, a productive, money-spending member, member of society and do all your fine dining, but then you can get rid of all of it at the end. Yeah, I mean, it was funny to me that, like, people went to hun- the Hunger Games rather than to vomitoriums, which is, I'm pretty sure, where that idea came from. Oh, like, yeah, ancient yeah. Romans used to do this. Like, they used to eat and then throw it back up and eat some more. And, yeah, that that is my observation, is that people know more about the Hunger Games than they do about ancient Rome. So, that's... <laughs> That's our society for you. <laughs> that about does it. Well, um, I, I strongly encourage everybody to check this out, just because I think it's. Um, I don't know that. Do you think it's? It, do you think it's going to be picked up or become? I mean, the article is about how doctors are like horrified that this got accepted in the first place, and I wonder how many will actually do the procedure, or if they will be so overwhelmed with people who want to have this procedure done that they're like, "Well, I'm not going to turn down the free money to do an FDA-approved procedure." And we start seeing this as a mainstream thing. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like, you know, there are limitations in who it can be approved for. So you can't have an eating disorder already. <laughs> like, that's one of the things that the FDA has determined is that, like, it's approved for people with a certain BMI of 35 to 55 who have failed to lose weight with non-surgical therapy. So you have to try something else first. Right. Okay. And BMI, um, for, for those who may not know, is a measure of body fat. Uh, based on weight and height and so for it's not body fat it's just body mass right exactly and so for a person who's like five foot nine 35 to 55 bmi is 236 to 365 pounds right yeah i i I don't know i don't know how widespread this is going to be there seems to be a lot of people who are revulsed by it so i imagine that's going to inhibit adoption somewhat but it also seems like there are a lot of people out there who are really desperate to lose weight Right. And so I don't know. I, I to me it's a toss up. Like I'm I am curious to see how the data plays out in the long term and to to find out what the follow up on that one year study looks like before I like weigh in in a very serious way. Right. And I like would be particularly curious to see what the long term risk of port infection happens to be. Port infection. Just keep saying port infection every time <laughs> it just sends a shiver down my spine. Like oh, port infection. Well, thank you for bringing this to our attention list. <laughs> Any time I'm here for it. <laughs> So this weekend, I think after a week where there had been, you know, I I guess a higher concentration of darkness and fighting and unpleasantness on the internet, maybe more than usual last week, um, I took a little break over the weekend. I think I was I was with my boyfriend and we we saw a friend of mine had posted a picture of a dragon fruit and this is how these things always happen. So she had picture, posted a picture of a very like an amazing picture of a dragon fruit and my boyfriend was like, oh, what is that? I've never seen that before. I said, it's a dragon fruit. He's like, how do you eat it? What is it? Because if, if you've seen a dragon fruit, it looks um, it looks like chocolate chip ice cream inside of this sort of spiky plant, and so you know us being on the internet we're like let's look up how to eat a dragon fruit because i've never actually eaten one before i've seen them and we found a a youtube account by a kid known only as far as i can tell only known as zep collector 98 and he is uh, a teenager i think he i think he is currently 18 years old 
but these videos go back four years. So he started when he was approximately 14. And he is a tropical and rare fruit enthusiast who shares fruits that he orders, like mail orders or gets from specialty food markets somewhere in the Midwest. Uh, He is definitely Midwestern, (laughs) I would guess, and just shows, shows you the fruit and then shows you how to eat it. And then he, if he can, he will take the seeds from it and plant them in his greenhouse because he's also very into growing rare tropical plants. I don't know. I watched an hour's worth of these this weekend. <laughs> I got so into it because the one that we found, and it is his most, um, his has his high, the highest views by far of any of his videos is the dragon fruit one. It has, I'm looking at it now, it has like uh, about 786,000, 787,000 views. And the rest don't have nearly that many views. But that one was done three years ago. And I feel like watching them, uh, watching a selection of them over time, I watched a kid grow up and like also just double down on his enthusiasm for fruit and his knowledge about fruit and growing it. And I just wanted to share this with you, Liz, because he's like a young botanist and he's the antithesis of everything that I think of when I think of a YouTube kid. And I don't know. I actually like learned a lot from him, too. It's it's, so I've only seen one of these. Emily, Emily had me watch one so I would be familiar (laughs) before we had this conversation. And (laughs) you know what it puts me in mind of is like the science version of the makeup tutorial. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's, it's unboxing. They're unboxing yes. videos for oh, yeah. fruit. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> Why isn't there more of that in the world? <laughs> I mean, it's so delightful. I mean, the, we, so this reminds me of another fun science unboxing thing. I think James Vincent was the person who found it, but it was this guy who was like extremely into snakes. Ooh. And so he would get snake eggs and then he would, because uh, he, he breeds them and he would uh, open the snake eggs because you, sometimes you can help the snakes when they've developed. Uh, they have like a little tooth, but you can help them with like a razor blade. And so he would open them up and then he gets so excited about the color patterns and it was oh like God. mesmerizing. Wow. Um, <laughs> I mean, first of all, I just think it's cool to watch people be excited about things. Like that was like what got me through calculus was that like my math professor was so excited about calculus. that like I was like all right calculus is all right I'm I'm into calculus I'll do calculus um so there's there's something very infectious about his enthusiasm well there's I it's a specific kind of enthusiasm though because this kid is not when I say he's the antithesis of YouTube kids I mean that also in affect he has no affect he just really likes fruit, but he's not overplaying it. He's no not overselling it. He's not doing like, uh, this fruit is totally epic. Like there's none of that. He's he's just sometimes one of the like delights of this this channel and like what my boyfriend and I find found ourselves laughing out loud at, like totally with him, not at him. It's just like you'd watch him eat it and there'd be silence. He'd be chewing, it looked like he was thinking. Be like, yeah, this is kind of like a whatever, guava. Um his affect is so flat, and then like halfway to th- through the video, he'd be like, "Yeah, this fruit is actually really delicious. I love this fruit." Like, it's, just like, <laughs> it's like, "Yes, yes, we got a good one." It's really amazing. Watching him eat durian is pretty funny because dur- durian is so notoriously disgusting smelling, and I think a lot of people would maybe overplay how gross it was 
for a YouTube video and he's just like gritting his teeth through it and he's like yep this smells pretty terrible right now but uh, I've heard it tastes good so we're gonna get to like it's, <laughs> it's just really really charming I've been trying to figure out <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about this on this podcast because I spent a while trying to figure out how to get in touch with him because I wanted to have him on the podcast <laughs> but um but in lieu of that I'm just I'm just uh I just wanted to endorse this channel um, if you go to my Twitter, if you scroll down, I, I I talk about it at some point, but it's called Zep Collector ninety eight. I don't know what are the good ones. The the durian one is pretty good. There's a he does the uh, what's it called the miracle fruit. I forget what oh, that's yeah. called. The one that changes the way things taste. He does that one. He's like super stoked about that. That's pretty fun. He does what's the other one that's really oh he has like a thirty minute video where he goes to Hawaii and he's just going nuts in Hawaii. He has like a whole haul of fruit that he got from a farmer's market <laughs> and he's just like. It's 30 minutes long and he's just like in heaven. It's really, really amazing. <laughs> it just makes me happy that like there, <laughs> it sounds so old when I say this, there are young people who are like really enthusiastic and like go on deep dives about stuff like this, like, and, and, and choose a public forum like this to share it on. Uh, it's nice. There's also like so many like women on, commenting on it who are like, you seem like such a nice boy. I wish my son was like you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, no. I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes the internet is good. Sometimes it's full of wonders and you can see people really at their best. And this is one of those times, I would say. Shout out to Zep Collector 98 <laughs> I am joined now by Jameson Cox, The Verge's own Jameson Cox, music critic, music reporter, music uh, archaeologist. No, <laughs> what's the explorer? I don't know. I'm trying to think yeah. of like a good general title. Um, but you are a music guy, I would say. Yeah, uh, that's that's definitely uh, that's my deal. Thank you for having me, by the way. Yeah, thanks for <laughs> thanks for joining us. First time on the pod. Yeah, long time um, listener, first time <laughs> guest. So, uh, James and I are talking earlier because it somehow occurred to me, or I just missed the news that there was a new Deerhoof album out this week. I don't know why this band in particular spurred this reaction in me, but then I I just kind of went down a hole, hole of like, man, when I was really into to Deerhoof, things sure were different as far as how I listen to music. But I am an, an ancient person, and Jameson is not. Um, but Jameson is also a Deerhoof <laughs> fan and is writing about them this week. I think by the time you listen to this, you should be able to read something about them on TheVerge.com. Mm-hmm. But... Um, but I, I don't know. We just well, we can we can start start small. So just like we just talk talk about Deerhoof a little bit, and then I, I think more about. I, I think this is also something you kind of got to when you were talking about Radiohead when that album came out a little while ago. But we can kind of talk about how the times change with music and the artists that we like. But. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we can we'll start with Deerhoof. So uh, Deerhoof, if you're not familiar, is this art rock band from San Francisco. Uh, they've been together for over 20 years now. So they've been, uh, making albums since the mid nineties and, and their new album is called the magic. It's their 13th. I think it's their 13th, uh, studio album, which is crazy. And the reason I, I wanted to write about them is because I've liked Deerhoof for a long time. I wouldn't say they've ever been one of my favorite bands, but they've always been this band on the periphery for me. And anytime I, you know, listen to a Deerhoof record, I never come away thinking like, wow, I'm bummed. 
or (laughs) they're not that kind of band. They just, they're going to fill you with joy no matter what. And they, they don't really sound like anyone else. And we were talking, uh, about how they're a really good gateway band. Like if, you know, you're someone just kind of starting to explore alternative music or just starting to, uh, you know, deepen your fandom and you stumble onto Deerhoof, they can be uh, a gateway into all of these super weird scenes and sounds that you may not uh, get to otherwise. So I really like that about them. And yeah, they're just, they're fun. They're a fun band. There aren't enough fun bands. I think that's (laughs) certainly the position they had in like 2002 or so when I got into them because they were one of these and when I think about the world of music that I was existing in then it was so small because I think of like what I thought of as like pitchfork approved bands in 2002 (laughs) and it was like under 100 bands you know or groups probably well under 100 but what you think of as like part of the canon or like accepted listening or something and they were definitely more in the weirder end of things of those bands which were still very very predominantly male white indie rock guitar driven guitar driven bands um there are i think three white guys in (laughs) and they do play guitars um but they've got uh, a really amazing uh japanese vocalist female vocalist satomi and who's like basically the the face and the voice of dear hoof and um it really did send like them being kind of legitimized in that way by what at the time was like this infallible source of criticism for me as a teenager. I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh so much. It's just like, it's the world feels really small when I think about it then. And then getting into them through that and then kind of being able to go down these more weird wormholes of stuff that wasn't necessarily on the internet or stuff I had to find in the music library once I started um, working at a college radio station, like getting more like digging around more but a lot of it starting with with your hoof yeah it's and like you know this is kind of tangential to what we're going to talk about but pitchfork at that time and a lot of other music websites you know the people who were picking those records that were going to enter the canon too they weren't necessarily um they didn't have the same broad taste that someone working for pitchfork or or for spin or rolling stone or whatever might have in 2016 so um I totally get what you mean about a band yeah. like Deerhoof feeling like they're they're sneaking into this uh, this secret club just because um, people's people's tastes were still pretty limited. The canon yeah. was was pretty narrow. So well, and also that that wasn't on. There was no pressure for Pitchfork to be any broader than that because they were at that time very they were very much positioned as the as the authorities on on um indie rock that was it like they didn't have to review a kanye west album or whatever at that time um i mean i actually think they did probably they did review college dropout that's a bad example but you know they weren't doing like um they still don't do taylor swift man why am i unable to think of a yeah but like they wouldn't review like lemonade or like like, they wouldn't review like i don't think there's a pitchfork review of of dangerously in love maybe all of these examples are wrong but i think the general feeling that that like it was a much narrower site with a much uh, smaller demographic range certainly among its writers and the artists and it was understood that other publications would cover that stuff not um, and it wasn't up to Pitchfork to have an opinion on that. So, um, mm-hmm. and it's very, you know, that's just like, that's just the story of like all of 
culture becoming one blob. I don't know. I think I think I, I, I rem- I'm going back and I'm, I'm looking through their catalog. I think I kind of stopped listening to them around 2007 or so, Deerhoof. Um, I don't know why. No good reason. I can't. I liked the last album I was really into, Friend Opportunity, which I think came out in 2007. I think around that time, maybe, I don't know, it just got harder and harder to listen to music and keep up with bands <laughs> and stuff. Uh, but I do remember like having a lot of my early sort of uh, music criticism thoughts about Deerhoof because when they released their 2003 album, Apple O, which is like very, very well received, but for me, it seemed like, oh my God, wait, it's like not chaotic and noisy. They were actually making songs. Oh my God, have they sold out? Like, I really had that <laughs> thought in my head when I was like 17 or whenever that, that album came out. And now, you know, I'm able to appreciate more that this band is really, really good at going back and forth between doing stuff that's a little more challenging and, and then just having like an amazing hook in the middle of a song. So I like that. Yeah, they're they're great. And I, I had the same I had a similar moment like a couple of years later when Animal Collective like put out Meriwether Post Pavilion in uh-huh. 2009. That was my like oh, they're making like pop songs like these songs are actually catchy and like my uh, my mom will like them. This yeah. sucks. And, and this, well, that I, was also yeah. sung tongs for me because I was I was I was super into when they were just doing like noise and like nine minutes of screeching and stuff. And <laughs> I was like, what is, what is what is what this sounds like? This sounds like a, this sounds so cute. It sounds so twee. I don't know. <laughs> but I was into Mates of State at the time too, so I don't know. This is just turning this t- conversation right now is just turning into this thing that. Um, my friend Daniel Ralston, who is on Twitter as Daniel Ralston, did where he made a like a sports commentary show that was just people talking about indie rock, though. This is what that's turning into. But I don't hate it. I'm not mad. <laughs> no, we should do this more often. Yeah. Just indie rock reminiscing hour. Yeah. Um, but we can talk about actually finding Deerhoof's music and how. Yeah. So how did how did the magic, this new this new Deerhoof album, how did it pass you by? I have no idea. And you know what's funny is that I started, I tweeted about Deerhoof because we were talking about it. And I was like, oh man, yeah, Deerhoof. And then their <laughs> their publicist, I guess, emailed me and it's like, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to email you about the Deerhoof album. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know. I guess I wasn't on the list. Whatever. Uh, you know, no hard feelings about it. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I was out of the country for a little while. It was like, I think something like that. I don't know how I kept track of releases, though, when I was like before the Spotify era, I guess I knew that like, you know, maybe around 10 of my favorite, like I knew when like maybe my 10 favorite artists were releasing something, but I wasn't going to like download it on iTunes as soon as it came out or anything. I would, uh, I don't know. I think the first time I downloaded something as soon as it came out was uh, in rainbows and that was Mm because it was free. well, I don't know. I mean, I, I certainly I don't think that I I had also because I was not working in entertainment media. Um, I did not have this feeling of, oh, I've got to hear this as soon as it's out. I, even for artists I really liked, I, it could be a week or, or, or two before I would hear a new album by somebody that I liked. And so I think like when there's this sort of feeling now about a lot of albums, if you don't hear them in the first week, then like you're not going to be a part of whatever conversation exists around them. I think that it holds less true for an, a band like this, but still, there is like a time when it's 
the universe has carved out a moment for you to listen to this album and have it be relevant. And then <laughs> after that, it's like, oh, yeah, you could do that. But then it would just be like for personal interest. It wouldn't be for work anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like listening, listening to music now. And I think this is true even for people whose jobs have nothing to do with with covering it. It's like you're looking like you're like standing in a creek or like a river with a current and the deer mm-hmm. album is like a like particularly nice looking twig that you'd like to like snatch and admire out of the river but like you really have to grab it before it gets like pulled away for eternity and or before uh, you get like smashed by an <laughs> yeah. oncoming wave yeah, in the I, form of a frank ocean album or whatever the next yeah, thing is going to be exactly that takes up everybody's like, attention this is and i feel like this is tied to one of my least favorite uh like my weird least favorite internet phenomenons and maybe or phenomena i guess anyway um when people feel the need to preface their like expression of uh excitement over something with like i'm so late on this oh i know it's like who cares if you're late on this (laughs) no one is like you don't you're not punching a clock like this is that's so beyond the point like you can be as early or as late on it as you want but it you know i think we all do feel this sensation of like this is our window to celebrate deerhoof and talk about deerhoof and then we've you know there's like 500 more albums coming out next week so you better cram yeah. it in there or else uh it's just gonna get carried away or, or maybe you will <laughs> yeah no i mean i i and i think that's what made me you know, thinking about them having having this moment of like, oh yeah, dear hoof, and then thinking about you know how okay, well now I've now I'm I'm going to listen to a near new dear hoof album in the context of this way that we listen to music now, and thinking about how different that was from like the first time I heard uh, Reveille or whatever. Um, I, I don't even I, to this day I don't actually know if that's how you pronounce it. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> their 2002 album, which was sort of like their breakout, I guess. Yeah, it made me. And then it was like, why haven't I thought about them for a while? Well, you know, I I, I have this library now of every song ever recorded. Um, I could listen to them at any moment. I just never think to. I I used to have a library of about I don't know how many songs did an iPod hold. A hundred thousand? Did I have a hundred thousand songs? I had a big iPod. Like, not to brag, guys, but I had a pretty big <laughs> iPod. <laughs> and, you know, it, so it was still a large, a large amount of music. But still, if I was bored on the bus or something and wanted to pick something to listen to, the name Deerhoof would go by as I was scrolling in, down my list of artists that I had music by. And that would be a possibility of a band that I would listen to. And I'm and now, Deerhoof now is just like an example of countless other bands I can think of that I've been really into at some point in my life and like haven't listened to or thought about even for years. So I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm mourning exactly, but I do feel a little bit of disconnect from the stuff that I like that I still like. But and there's no reason that I shouldn't be listening to it now, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do feel it feels like we're a little bit more disconnected from that kind of happenstance. Right. And in part, it's a function of just like of how these streaming services where the majority of us get our music, how they work. Like they're not really designed to support uh, the kind of mammoth libraries that people would cultivate between like 2005 and 2012 like that was a big thing for me so like you I had a huge mp3 library up until I'm gonna say like 2011 2012 yeah and then my computer crashed and I didn't have uh 
I didn't have anything. Did you actually lose up. your music? Yeah, <gasps> yeah. Oh my god! I know it was a tragedy, and I had like like any um, like a lot of serious fans. Like I had all kinds of stuff that was hard to find in there, like bootlegs. I had really fallen in love with. So yeah. some of it, some of it was lost, and I hadn't really um, like streaming music at that point. Spotify wasn't available in Canada. Right, this was right. a few years before Apple Music. I think the only thing. Uh, we really had was RDO. So that was kind of the push I needed to say like, okay, I'm going to make the leap to RDO. But then once you start using a streaming service, you have to go through this, you know, you're tempted to go through this like uh, process of recreation. You're trying yeah. to, you know, I, I, I toyed with the idea of bringing back this huge library in some format. And then when I realized that it would require like hour upon hour of searching for all of these albums and trying to find the right version yeah. and like clicking and adding them to this, you know, virtual, uh, library of, of all of this music that I didn't actually, uh, possess yeah. you know, as a file. The thought was just overwhelming. Yeah. And Spotify is even worse for that because, uh, it imposes a cap on like the number of songs you can quote unquote save to your library. Like, oh, I didn't even songs. know that. I have never reached yeah, that yeah. cap. I just don't save my music. When I, when I started using Spotify, that was my first, like a, like someone already trying to like grasp at the last like strings of their golden age. I was like, I'm going to build my library from scratch again. And I'm going to save all these albums to my Spotify library. And I started doing that. And every time I'd stumble upon something, I'd add it. And then at one point it stopped working. And yeah. I was like, what's, what's wrong? Did my, like, am I not paying? Did my account fall into some bad state? <laughs> and it's like, it just wouldn't let me add any more songs to my virtual uh, Spotify library. So then I had to, uh, consciously like undergo this fundamental change in how I like organized and, and listened to to music. And now it's all around, you know, playlists as opposed to this giant right. list of stuff. Well, that was sort of what also has kicked off a week of sort of pessimistic or like just sort of searching, I guess. I, I feel like this happens a few times a year where I'm just like, okay, I hate the way that music happens. The thing that kicked it off this time was playlist related. And it was when I realized that most of the music that I discovered, aside from stuff that you highlight on your list, Jameson, which is like one of my main ongoing playlists, <laughs> it's nice to like just have that. Oh, and also I, I should plug, Jameson, Jameson runs an ongoing playlist called... This is your next jam. It's on Spotify. You can find it. It is. Um, and he does mm -hmm. a rundown of, of the best songs of the week on The Verge over the weekend. Um, and it's great. It's very useful, <laughs> especially if you're having a problem like this. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I think we're coming up on like a year now yeah. of doing it, which is crazy. There are like 400 songs in there. So if you're ever bored, flip through. And I know that a lot of love and time goes into that. So I appreciate it. But uh, you're welcome. Um, but so aside from Jameson's playlist, the other thing, the other <laughs> place that I get music from are playlists made by Nike that come up when you search for like running playlists on Spotify, because a good deal of the music that I listen to on Spotify, I listen to while I am working out or running. And uh, a lot of times that's just something I need to have going. It doesn't need to be my favorite music or anything. I just need something that's like high tempo and not horrible. And the Nike playlist happened to be pretty good. This is not a plug for Nike or Nike's playlist, but like they do the trick for me for whatever reason. I think whoever's curating them probably has taste sensibility that's pretty similar to mine. And um, 
then I just started realizing, oh my God, I'm discovering music thanks to this uh, shoe company. (laughs) (laughs) And it just felt like a new low as far as like, I don't know, you can romanticize going to the record store and hobnobbing with the old curmudgeon behind the counter. And I don't think that that's something that I necessarily need in my life or have time for in my life anymore. But like, there's quite a bit of difference between that and and, and just getting your music from a, a shoe company. So I don't know. It's... It's it's weird. I think I'm just going to get an iPod, honestly. I really <laughs> yeah, do. It's, well, it's funny that you mentioned that. Like, So uh, right now I have a very segregated uh, music collection. Like I have all of my streaming stuff is run through Spotify. Every couple of months I go back to Apple Music and, and try it out because some something will appeal to me. And then it's just so janky that I end up going back to Spotify, like mm-hmm. apologizing, like, I'm so sorry. No. <laughs> like, I'll never do it again. And then, uh, I use iTunes. I have Apple music turned off. Yeah. So, and I use iTunes as like a repository for only MP3s. Got it. And, bec- and because music is my job, it's largely made up of, uh, promo copies, like stuff I wouldn't be able to access on Spotify anyway. But but they don't um, let you upload promo copies. This is such a media problem only, but you cannot <laughs> upload promo copies to your phone. Can you? What? I'm not. I'm not able to. It's so annoying. Like, like, just like watermarked MP3 files. Yeah. No, they don't. Oh yeah. I have no problem with that. What? Oh my god. Yeah, no, I'm, was, I'm never able good. to. I was, <laughs> that's what I was going to lead into. It's because it's because I have like that music synced to my phone, and then Spotify. Like, unless I save something to download offline, you know, everything just lives, you know, in the in the great cloud. Um, I'm forced to like listen to either these promo copies or the albums um, that I have in iTunes because for whatever reason, they're not available on major streaming services. Like I have like the full Prince discography uh, in iTunes. So there are plenty of times where I've been like taking the bus from visiting friends and I don't want to like use my data to listen to something on Spotify. So I'll just flip through that collection of oddball orphan albums and and stuff I may have to listen to for work and that's how I'll end up listening to like mid-90s Prince records right um so but the fact that there are just all these different ways like it's a patchwork like I I Apple Music is the only streaming service I don't pay for now I feel like except for yeah no I pay for I pay for Amazon I pay for Spotify I pay for Tidal I pay for three separate streaming services right now Mm -hmm. and uh and I it's like a very, very, yeah, like you said, it's very segregated. It's like, okay, I want to listen to this on this. And it's a, it's like a complete, it's like a different machine that you're listening to almost. It's, it's very strange. Um, I'm not a fan of, I, I, I kind of wonder if anything, if anything sizable will happen to change this because I feel like nobody likes this. I can't think of a person who enjoys this way of doing music. Like, yes, the convenience is great. And I, I don't necessarily want to lose that. But I, the, the separateness and the, these warring streaming services now are just like, become a fact of our life as music fans. And I do feel like something has to change around that because I, I think that people... I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm the only person who cares. <laughs> I don't think you're the only person who cares because I care too. And it's a bummer to me that that it's for some reason become harder to find new things than it was 10 years ago. Yeah. And that just doesn't like it just doesn't make much sense. <laughs> yeah. It's and you know, you can 
chalk it up to the fact that we were collectively, um, you know, rendered lazy by the promise of all of these streaming services. Yeah. Not, you know, it just when you're when you're presented with like millions upon millions of songs that you can access on demand at any given time, it, you know, it's you can become like the the people in Wally, like who, yeah. like the future people who are just sit in their wheelchairs and, and yeah. steer around. Um, or just listen maybe, to the same like playlist over and over yeah, again. Yeah, like it's <laughs> it's just it's easy to it's easier to become like a creature of habit. Yeah, and maybe that's maybe that's the only way that we can kind of restore the feeling that you had ten years ago and that I had ten years ago uh, is just by making like a committed effort to seek out new stuff. But that's a lot to ask of people who have jobs and lives yeah. uh, that don't revolve around that concept. And, you know, I don't want to romanticize scarcity either. Like I know a lot of, you know, older music critics who are like, Oh, you know, like I got really into like eighties Bob Dylan because I didn't know any better. And like the only albums I could find were like these terrible eighties Bob Dylan records. So then I learned to appreciate them. And like, that's a cool story, but I wouldn't (laughs) like wish that on anyone. And I think it's cool that, like, let's say there's, like, a 15-year-old who wants to get into Deerhoof now. Well, they can just listen to every single Deerhoof album in order if they want, and then they can look at all the related artists, and they can go listen to Sonic Youth and Yoko Ono if they want. That's cool. I, you know, I'm happy for those people. Well, you can study really easily on Spotify. I think the discovery thing is what's harder. Like, the discovery, where does that kid hear about Deerhoof for the first time? I think that's the issue. I think once they've heard of Deerhoof and they want to go find out more about Deerhoof, the whole world is waiting for them. Like, (laughs) arms wide open, come, here's all this free music. And that's great. That's super easy. And you can become like a better student of music, I guess, in that way. But like finding out about these things in the first place, I guess, uh, I guess just got to do more blog posts. We just got to yeah. do more <laughs> blog posts. It's for the children. <laughs> that's what I tell myself when I wake up every morning. Uh, and I, I do think this explains people's fondness for Discover Weekly too, right? Right, yeah. Because it's giving them that sense of something new just around the corner without them having to read like my lovingly crafted blog posts uh so well they are very lovingly crafted and i would recommend everybody check them out (laughs) uh this will be out on friday so you can check out jameson's um piece about deer hoof today and then tomorrow there will be in fresh new songs of the week up thank you for joining us this week jameson i really appreciate it and um yeah, and Jameson, you, you you are on Twitter at Jameson Cox if people are not following you on already. Yes, that's right. J-A-M-I-E-S-O-N. Not like not the whiskey. Not like the whiskey. Not like the whiskey. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, thank you so much for having me and, and for the, the generous plugs. And everybody go listen to Deerhoof because they're a good band and you'll like them. Here, here. Well, I would like to thank Jameson Cox for joining Emily to discuss music because I have mostly been listening to Toto this week because I like Toto because There's I am nothing very... wrong with that. <laughs> because I am your dad. And <laughs> uh, and so it was helpful to have a fresh perspective there. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ms. Lopato, uh, M.S. Lopato, and Emily is at Emily Yoshida, but that's not the only place you can catch up with us. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes leave us a review 
If you like the podcast, uh, we love reviews. You can find us on Spotify if you search The Verge. We are there as well. And we are on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash Verge ESP. And I think those are all of our platforms currently. <laughs> um, and yeah, let us know. Uh, tweet at us or, or, or leave a comment. And let us know uh, how you like the show because we love feedback. And we'll be back next week. Bye, friends. Bye.